Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 53 is where I want to start. Verse 53, we're actually at the end of this chapter and uh, going to kind of start here and work our way backwards a little bit. But here in verse 53 of the New King James, it says this. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. So basically uh, 13 verse 1, he starts out with what a lot of us know as the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. The sower goes out to sow the seed of the word of God. And we know that the seed of the word, that seed falls on four different types of soil. And each uh, uh, type of soil that it landed on or fell upon uh, produced different results. But ultimately, the only one that was fruitful, the only one that was productive was the last one. If you're familiar with the parable of the last uh, 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 picture that he gives us is the seed falling on good ground. Good ground. Anybody in here good ground? Do we have some good ground here today? You awake today? We're going to wake it up. Amen. Uh, you want to be good ground. And the soil is your responsibility. The soil is your responsibility. You are responsible for your heart. Your heart is nobody else's responsibility. Your heart isn't anybody else's responsibility to tend and to keep and to till and to break down and make sure that it's receptive and productive and fruitful and, and you know, uh, healthy. Your heart is your responsibility. And sometimes, you know, we, we give our heart over to other people. And if you've ever made the statement, he broke my heart or she broke my heart, well, they only did because you let them. You gave them that territory, but that's your domain. Your heart's your territory. Your heart is your priority. Your heart is in your care. Amen. And our hearts have to be taken care of. And so the heart is the soil where that seed is planted. So I'm sowing seed today. I'm scattering seed. And, and, and there's all types of soil in here. Some of you came in here prepared. Some of you came in here prayed up. Some of you still wiping stuff out of your eyes, walking through the doors. And, and, and so we, we want to have our hearts prepared. We want to be receptive and ready to receive the word of God. Amen. You know, I've prepared my time, my investment in uh, putting this word together so you could uh, receive it so I could give it to you. But we each have a responsibility to prepare and work on our hearts, prepare our hearts to receive the word just as much as I've got to prepare to give the word. Amen. Now, don't get a lot of shouts on that one. I know because the pastor's supposed to do all the work. I understand. And I've worked hard. I've, I've got my notes here. I've got my outlines. I've highlighted stuff. I got some points in here that are in bold so that Make sure I hit them. Uh, I took the time to even look up some of these verses in different translations. I mean, I've put some work in. But what work have you put in to receive the word of God today? What work have you put in to prepare your heart to receive the word? Just because the seed is sown doesn't mean it produces. Where is it sown? What's it landing on? What does that uh, ground, that soil, or that environment look like? 
And so he just got done telling all these parables, started with that parable, but he goes on down. I mean, there's a bunch of parables in here. He says the kingdom of God is like a dragnet and the kingdom of God is like a, a priceless uh, coin and the, the kingdom, kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field. He's got all these parables that he's giving. Uh, parables are illustrations or stories that he's using to make the word of God relatable, the kingdom of God relatable to the people that he's speaking to. So after he's finished all these stories, it says that he had come to his own country. Everyone say his own country. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? So they heard what he had to say and they saw what he came to do. Okay, They heard the word and they saw the works. They heard the word, they saw the works. They heard the word that he was ministering and they were astonished by it. They saw the works that he was producing, the miracles, the signs and wonders, casting out demons. I mean, they're, they're, they're seeing the hands, the, the work of his hands. So they're seeing the word, they're hearing the word and they're seeing the works. Astonished, amazed. Where did this man get this from? is what they say. Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get the ability to do these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they see the works, they hear the word, but now they're having a problem reconciling who he is with what he does. They're having a hard time connecting who this man is with what he's producing, with what he's doing. They've got mighty works, they've got a powerful word. They're astonished, they're amazed. But the astonishment and the amazement backtracks to, wait a minute, he's one of us. We know his parents. We know his family, his brothers, his sisters. We know what he does for a living. He's a carpenter. This is a carpenter. This guy built my bed. This guy built our dining room table. This guy put together our furniture. This guy works at Ikea. This guy works, this guy's a furniture sale. This guy is a carpenter. What in the world does a carpenter, what any business does a carpenter have with miracles and signs and wonders? Now, they were looking for a man that could produce miracles, signs, and wonders. They were looking for a prophet. In fact, they knew that there was a promised Messiah. This was not a surprise. Like, oh man, look at this man that has a powerful, they weren't surprised with what he was doing, they were surprised with the package it came in. They were surprised with the person that was doing the works. They knew somebody was coming that could do these works. They knew somebody was coming. I mean, the prophet Isaiah prophesied it. That's what a prophecy is, is speaking of something that is forthcoming, speaking of something that has not yet happened. Prophecy, the prophet Isaiah said 
that this, there's going to be someone that he's going to bring sight to the, uh, to the blind. He's going to heal the brokenhearted. It's found in the book of Isaiah. And Jesus, even uh, over in Luke chapter 4, gets up before uh, the congregation and says, this is what's written, and today it's being fulfilled in your eyes. So they knew that somebody was coming that was going to be able to produce these results. But it says here in the very next verse, so they were offended at him. They were offended at him. You know, offense is not hurt. It's perceived hurt. When you get offended, you're not really, no no one has literally hurt you. You've just taken on the feeling or the perception of hurt. And so Jesus hasn't done anything to offend them, but they've become offended anyhow. Jesus hasn't done anything malicious. Jesus hasn't done anything harmful. Jesus hasn't attacked them. Jesus didn't come to uh, you know, tell them how horrible they were to condemn them. He even said that over in John. The Son of Man hasn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. But even through his actions, which the intent and the motive was to help them, because of their inability to perceive who he was and what he was capable of doing, who, see, they received him as the son of man, but they had a hard time receiving him as the son of God. We see that you're the son of Mary, but now you're saying you're the son of God? How do I reconcile that? How do I connect those two? And they became offended. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. What's he saying? Where you, where people know the most about me, they have the hardest time receiving who I am. Familiarity. Familiarity. Familiarity is a dangerous trap. Usually the prerequisite for offense is familiarity. You know, people don't get offended by someone that they don't hardly know. You get offended by the people that you're the closest to. The fence usually builds up where the relationship is the tightest, where I know the most about you. You know the most about me. We're the closest, the most intimate. The most offended people on earth are spouses or family members. And then from there, it goes to church people. You know, church people, we get offended really quick, really easy offense and roots of bitterness and and the challenges. Why? Because there is a closeness. There's a connection. There's a unity that ought to be had in this house, in this place. There's so many people that I know, I personally know as a pastor, I know people that once were in church consistently uh, serving in church and now want nothing to do with the church because of these types of strains and these types of of things that come in, walls that get built up, because that's exactly how the enemy wants to attack the body of Christ, because no weapon formed against the church shall prosper. So guess what? I'm gonna have to work from the inside out. I've I've gotta get a wedge. So I'm gonna use their unity against them. I'm gonna use their 
closeness and their tightness and their intimacy against them. That's the same thing with husband and wife relationships. Look straight ahead. Don't, don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Look right here. <laughs> Some of those elbows start nudging. Oh, sorry, that was just a reaction. I don't know, just, I don't know, funny bone. I, I don't know why I did that. You listening? Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't have offense without intimacy. So the enemy has to find, he, he will use the, the unity between Adam and Eve, the unity between what God designed to be one, and he wants to come in and sever that and divide it. Have you ever noticed that God is always trying to make one what used to be two, and the devil is trying to make two what's supposed to be one? We are one body, but we have a thousand different denominations. Hello? So he's using our intimacy and using our closeness against us to divide us because we cannot accomplish anything apart. One can put a, put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000. The Bible speaks very much, the Bible is very clear on harmony. Peace, peacemaking, unifying, not division. And so Jesus has come. He's not trying to be malicious. He's not attacking anybody. He's not hurting anybody. He's not bringing anybody harm, but yet they are offended. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now watch this. Watch what was compromised because of their inability to receive who he was. Even in the midst of seeing the miracles, even in the midst of hearing the word, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. It's the only time recorded in scripture where we don't have that Jesus healed them all. Jesus delivered them all. Jesus set them free. Jesus cast out. It, 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 this is the only time we have recorded that he was not able to perform a miracle in someone's presence. Not because of his inability. Not because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. Not because he, you know, didn't eat his Wheaties. Not because he didn't feel his spiritual. But because of their unbelief, their offense compromised their belief system. Their offense compromised their belief system, their wall. They began to, 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 to start to take into consideration, started trying to assess his value. You ever had anybody try to do that? Try to assess your value? And they're using all the wrong parameters. In John chapter one, guys, I didn't give you this, so if you could pull it up and, and put it in there for me. John chapter one, we're gonna look at uh, verses 10. Let's just start with verse 10, John chapter one. In verse 10, in the New King James, uh, John, the disciple John, wrote this in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. The world was made through him, but the world doesn't even know him, doesn't even recognize him. Verse 11 says he came to his own, 
He came to his own. Now that word, the first one, own, the first own there, you see it twice in that verse, he came to his own. That first one is his own things or his own territory, his own domain. You know, Jesus, you know, Jesus is the word of God and he spoke all this into existence, okay? So he came to his own. I created this. And his own, the second own is his people. So the first own is the territory, the domain of earth. And the second own and his own people. He came to his own domain and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own territory and his own people did not receive him. Well, what's the opposite of receiving? Rejecting. If I don't receive it, it's not just the lack of I'm not taking part of it. I'm literally pushing it away. I'm literally saying, no, I don't want any of that. But verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So when I receive him, I receive the family in return. I receive something as a result of receiving who Jesus is. They received him, therefore they get the right or the authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice the three things he lists. They're born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. Those are all natural parameters. Natural parameters. But he says, no, they were born of God. Something spiritual, something you can't see. And so what we have is we have Jesus' own people, Jesus' only family, Jesus' own family and his own people, his own country, his own relatives rejecting him, not because of what's on the inside, but because of what's on the outside. In essence, they did this. They underestimated what a carpenter could do, and they overestimated what a prophet would look like. They underestimated what a carpenter, they immediately put him in a category, carpenter. Carpenters don't heal the sick. They build furniture. Carpenters don't bring liberty to the captives. They're cutting things and measuring things. Now prophets, prophets can do that. But a prophet won't look like this. And so what happens is, is we miss what God is trying to do and we miss what God is trying to produce in the earth today. I'm telling you guys, it's, it's, it's a lack of recognition. It's a lack of recognition. It all comes down, I'm, God is moving in our midst. God is working in the earth. The question isn't, is God moving? The question is, are we seeing it? Are we recognizing it? Do we notice when God, or, or have we overlooked all the opportunities where God is trying to work and move in our lives? Because we have this idea of what it's going to look like and who he's, because we're telling you right now, we don't receive half of what God wants to do in our lives because we don't like who he uses to produce it. Right. 
parents don't like that God wants to use their children to teach them something. Come on. Employers don't like that God will use their employees to teach them something. We're talking about value. But familiarity destroys value. Familiarity destroys honor. Familiarity destroys any opportunity for the monotonous to become miraculous. But God is using the monotonous every day in your life. God's using your routine. I've said this before, but you don't have to do anything different tomorrow for God to be able to work in your life. He wants to use your everyday, ordinary life. You're waking up, going to work, with the same people, you don't need a different boss, you don't need a promotion, you don't need a different paycheck, you don't need to live somewhere different, you don't need a different uh, economic status, you don't need a different past, different history, different education system, you, you, you don't need a different spouse, come on, you don't need different kids, you don't need to put them in a different school system, you can be productive and purposeful right where you're at right where you're at. You can wake up tomorrow with an intentionality that says, I don't need anything to change. I'm gonna be purposeful right where I'm at. And the day and age that we live in is we value what's next over what's now. And we start thinking about how we can change all this scenery, but the problem is you're taking your same self to the new scenery. You're taking the same you to the new job, the same you to the new marriage, the same you to the new city. You're taking you. So God's trying to work on something on the inside. Not of will, not of blood, not of flesh, of God. You need to be born of God. It's what's on the inside that might be intangible that you cannot see that God wants to use to show himself. It's this level of familiarity that destroys us. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, I just uh, gave you uh, that, that Jesus is covering multiple parables. And in verse 44, he uses this one. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. And sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And it's so interesting to me that, 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 that 10 verses down, we're dealing with the very situation that he just gave a parable about. Why? Because Jesus was the treasure hidden in a field. You've heard me minister on this before. There's treasure, but it's hidden in the field. And the value for the treasure is determined by your value for the field. Most of us just wanna dig up treasure and take the treasure home. But it says that this man said, no, no, no. If I really want the treasure, I'm getting the whole thing. The dirt, the crud, that, all the stuff that it's buried beneath. I, I want all of it. Because you don't get the riches and what everybody wants by disregarding what nobody wants. Not in the kingdom. Not in the kingdom. There's treasure buried in there. But your value for the treasure is determined by your value for the field. If you don't want the field, then guess what? You don't really want the treasure. You get all of me. You get my imperfections. You get my flaws. You get my low status of height. 
I've had people tell me that. I guess I look a lot taller up here. I don't know. I'm not that tall. I'm five foot seven. So my ID says that's what we're going with. It's amazing the things that we, we will draw up that will say, oh, God would use that? God would use that person? God would use a person that's been there, done that, got the t-shirt? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus didn't come as this masterful king. He came as a suffering servant. And he said, those that receive me, those that really want me, they will recognize what I have on the inside, not just who I am on the outside. You don't get the miracles and you don't get the signs and you don't get the, the wonders and you don't get the, aston- the, the amazing, astonishing teaching, uh, uh, the, the great orator Jesus. You don't get all that if you disregard the vessel, the treasure that's buried in the field. You don't want the field, you don't get the treasure. You don't want the dirt, you don't get the riches. So we want all the great things that God has for us, but we don't want any of the dirt. We don't want any of the stuff that surrounds it. We, 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 we just want the miraculous without the monotonous. And God said, I'm putting the miraculous inside the monotonous. And until you open your eyes and recognize, God can only reveal himself to people who recognize him. There's a difference. Just because he reveals himself doesn't mean you'll recognize. I've had people tell me, man, if, you know, if we had someone here that was deaf and we had deaf ears open up, man, this church would be packed out. Maybe for a few weeks. But precedent shows that it's not miracles and signs and wonders that keep people around. They might come for a show. They might come for entertainment. But they might not come to be challenged. They might come for a God that can do stuff for them, but not the God that wants to be with them. And there's a difference. God is not here to just get your stuff done. God is not here just to answer all your petitions and prayers and your requests. God is here for relationship. You know, I have people ask sometimes, you know, they have questions about the word of God. And hey, we've all got questions. If you've walked with the Lord seriously, walked with the Lord for any length of time, you'll start having some questions. Is this real? Is God real? Is faith real? Is healing real? No, no, no. You can go on down. And so what they want is, you know, they want answers to questions. They want texts. But this in verse 14 of John chapter one, verse 14, it goes on to say that the word became flesh. The word became human, took on human form, but the form is not the fullness. The form is not the fullness and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians chapter two uh, tells us that uh, Jesus didn't see it as robbery to come down from heaven and become just like you and I. The word put on flesh. But what most people saw was flesh. All they saw was shell. But the flesh wasn't the fullness. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So before it was flesh, it was word. 
Before he was Jesus, the son of man, he was Jesus, the son of God. And the son of God became son of man so that he could prove to you and I, I heard someone say this a while back, that Jesus didn't heal the sick to prove that he could. Jesus healed the sick to prove that you could. Some of you caught that. I'll let the rest of you let it sink in a little bit. Jesus didn't heal the sick to prove that he could. Jesus proved this, healed the sick to prove that you being flesh, just like he is, but born of the spirit, born of God and having authority delegated to you from heaven, you could heal the sick as he healed the sick. You could lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Mark chapter 16. Hello? Yeah. That's why he wrapped himself in flesh. He wrapped himself in flesh to accomplish the purpose of God. So the very thing that he came to do became the very thing that people rejected him for. He came to prove that there's treasure in earthen vessels. He came to prove that there's something greater on the inside of you than what's on the outside of you. And your shell does not define you. Your problems do not define you. Your outer garment doesn't define you. There's purpose and destiny on the inside of you. God has called you to something greater than who you are and what you've done and what you're capable of. The potential is far greater. The sea will become a tree if you put it in the right environment. That's what he came to show. But people took that and said, oh, I don't need no seed. God, I need a tree. Here's a seed. I don't want any seed. That's what we do. We ask God for the end goal, and then he gives it to us in seed form and says, okay, you plant it, you water it, you take care of it, and it will become what you need. So we want God to give us furniture when he said, I gave you trees. Turn the tree into the furniture. Hello? God gives you everything in seed form and you work it and you maintain it and you take care of it and you honor it in its smallest state and it will become fruitful for you in its greatest state. So over time, what happens is dishonor becomes natural. Dishonor becomes the natural tendency. The longer I know you, the more I know about you, the more intimate we become, the less I begin to honor you, not more. This is the tendency. That's just the natural digression of life is we tend to move towards dishonor rather than towards honor. We move towards familiarity rather than keeping at a certain level. I'm not talking about glorifying man and glorifying uh, 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 who someone is. I'm talking about glorifying the gift that is on their life and glorifying who they are. That's not just your spouse or just your husband, just your kids, just your boss. There is a gift on the inside of them. But the more familiar we become with the outer shell, the more we compromise what's in the shell. In Matthew chapter 14, the next chapter over, it begins with John the Baptist being beheaded. Then we go to, uh, you know, Jesus was painfully sorrowful over the death of his cousin. 
So he said, I'm getting away. I'm getting away from these people. Went to a deserted place. They found out he was there. They followed him out there. It says that he had compassion on them. Even in a state of of an emotional crisis for Jesus, he was still able to minister to other people's needs, had compassion for them. Why? Because he wasn't led by his emotions. So he ends up feeding 5,000. Then he tells his disciples to get in a boat, go on the other side. Jesus walks on the water in the middle of a storm. And when they get to the other side in verse 34, it says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. So now you've got, you, you know, if I had a map, I probably could have put the picture up there. You have Nazareth kind of down in the south. That's where Jesus was. That's where Jesus was from, among his own country, his own people, familiarity. People knew who he was in Nazareth. He goes across the Sea of Galilee, north, to a town called Gennesaret, where they don't know him. They don't, they, don't, they don't know Jesus like the people in Nazareth knew. They don't know he's a carpenter. They don't know his mother, Mary. They don't know his, his dad and his brothers. and they, they don't know what he did for occupation. They didn't grow up with him. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 34 in the New Living, it says, after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. The same miracles that he was not able to perform in Nazareth, now they're begging him to perform in Gennesaret. So my question to you today is, are you from Nazareth? Or are you from Gennesaret? Do you see something that you're familiar with? And it's like, how could this be this? How could I receive a miracle from that? How could this person say this to me? How could God use that person and use that moment and use that opportunity? Or are you from Gennesaret saying, there is something on this situation. There's something on this man. There's something on this person. And I want God to move and speak through them to touch me. That, that's, that's the question today. If your heart won't receive it, your hands will reject it. If your heart won't receive it, your hands will reject it. The problem wasn't on the outside. The problem was really on the inside. They're bringing all their sick. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. So it's our recognition that creates our expectation. It's our recognition that creates our expectation. We go through life. We go about our normal days. Normalcy. Familiar. We have our eyes so focused on what needs to change around us that we miss what needs to change within us. And the miracle that you're looking for, the miracle you're believing for, I will tell you this, it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. It's going to the same place you go to every day, nine to five. It's working with the same people. Working for the same people. 
working under the same people, leading the same people, employing the same people, parenting the same people, married to the same people. It's right in front of you. What God wants to do is right. Jesus did not become a different person in Gennesaret that he was in Nazareth. He did not transform and say, okay, I'm gonna come over here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show these people what I'm really all about. I, I, I wasn't really feeling good back here in Nazareth. I couldn't you know, own up to all the things that I normally could do. And they heard the miracles and they heard the word. They saw the miracles, they saw the works, heard the word and still were not able to receive. But he goes to a new town, an unknown place, an unfamiliar place. And that's where he's able to do the miracle. And the miracle wasn't on Jesus. The miracle was on the people. You gotta catch this. Your level of expectation will never exceed your level of recognition. Your level of expectation will never exceed your level of recognition until you open your eyes and recognize the moments that are right in front of you. You'll never expect anything different from it. Some of you are getting exactly what you expect. Your spouse treats you exactly the way you expect them to treat you. Your kids behave exactly the way you expect them to behave. Your boss leads exactly the way you expect him to lead. You, uh, as a leader, have employees under you and your employees respond to you exactly the way you expect them. And we're going through life getting what we expect because we're not recognizing what's in there. Got to be willing to dig past the dirt. Got to be willing to dig past familiarity. Got to be willing to shove some normalcy out of the way, some monotony out of the way, the mundane, the, the, the irritating, the frustrating. It's pushing past all the stuff you don't like that allows you to get to the stuff you do like. Tell you right, I'll tell you what, I am giving you some strong marriage counseling right now. You, every marriage counseling session can be canceled as of right now to everyone in here that needs it. That's it right there. Push past the stuff that you think that they just don't even know. That's the stuff that you don't even see. And start talking, speaking, declaring, looking at, recognizing what has been there the whole time, but you've been missing it. What if we started speaking to our kids over the stuff that we want to see them do, not the stuff they're already doing? Yeah. It's right in front of you. Look at your neighbor, tell them it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. You live with them. They're in your house. They're on the road. They're at Walmart. They're at Target. They're right here in Valdosta. I know this is a very transient town. This is a very come and go town. And I know that a lot of uh, uh, military, even some college students, they end up here and might not like it. Might not, might not be what you're familiar with. 
But what if, what if God's trying to get you out of the familiar? What if God, for the time period you're here, year, two years, three years, five years, seven years, whatever, however long God has you here, what if you supplanted yourself and said, God, show me what I need to receive at this season right now. I'm not thinking about where I'm going beyond here. I'm not thinking about where I'm gonna be next year. What do I need? Because how I leave one place is how I'm gonna go to the next one. Come on. I remember I had a, you know, I, was on, I wasn't here very long, maybe two, three months, and I went to this pastor's gathering, and, uh, you know, this, this, this pastor uh, at, at this gathering, he, he just went, started going off on Mount Austin. It's, it's just a religiously dry area. It, it's just, uh, uh, you know, the, the spirit has left this place and there's just a spirit of darkness and, and bondage and, you know, just going off. And I'm like, you know, at first I was like, what did I get myself into? And then I remembered uh, the passage in Jesus, in, 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 I believe it's in, uh, in, in Luke, maybe Luke chapter nine, where Jesus looks out on the crowd. And this was after he healed the sick, after he cast out demons, after he brought sight to the blind and brought liberty. After he did all that, he looked out on the crowd and it said this. He looked at them and he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. After all the blessing and the miracles and the wonders and the signs, he said, these poor people. And then he turned to his disciples And he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers because the field is white with harvest. And I'm sure all those disciples were saying, what? Ripe? White? Ready to be picked? Ready? Ready? That's what he, yeah, that's what I said. What if you were the solution to the problem you keep complaining about? What if you were the answer that heaven's been waiting for wherever you're at? What if? What if God wants to use you? What if God said, you're it, you're my man, You're my woman, you're my parent, you're my person, you're the boss, you're the leader that they've been needing this whole time. I know they're a mess, that's why I sent them there to you. Come on, parents. My kids act crazy, that's why you're parenting them. They make horrible decisions, that's why you're leading them. Come on. We're not to be affected by the issues around us, we're supposed to be affecting the issues around us. Is it changing you or are you changing it? And this, this business is dying. Maybe you're the one to figure it out, bring a new strategy, bring a new brain to it, bring a new way of thinking and bring life back to it. Come on. So God changed my thinking right away as I was listening to him. And I even responded and said, I guess we have work to do, don't we? Yeah. And he was old. 
And I wasn't trying to despise his eldership, but I understand. You stay in something long enough, it becomes familiar. You stay in something and you don't see change uh, quick enough, uh, come on, this is where we're at. This is where we live. We want to stick everything in the microwave. We expect oven-ready meals, five-star meals out of the microwave. Five-star doesn't mean five minutes. The stars don't mean how many minutes it was in there for. (laughs) Come on now. Nope. It means that we've had to put some investment into it, some intentionality into it. Our level of expectation will never exceed beyond our level of recognition. Matthew chapter seven. Are you getting something today? I want to send you out. I want you to walk back through those doors better than when you came in. That's our goal. I pray that every single time we meet. I don't, you know, some churches you might walk back out worse. I don't want that to be this church. Now your flesh might feel worse. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. Your flesh might say, oh, that was brutal. But your spirit on the inside saying, yes, this is it. This is what we need. This is what we've been waiting for. Shut up, flesh. That's what, that's what your spirit's saying. Die, crucify, put that, nail it, man. Put it on the cross. Your flesh, ain't, your flesh will help you do nothing in life. Nothing. Crucify it, put it down. You don't even need 1% of your flesh involved. You don't need 10% of your flesh. You need none of it. Paul said, it's absolutely worthless to you. In fact, any of it that is still alive is the percentage that you are still not alive to Christ. So kill it, destroy it, and get the spirit to rise up. So your spirit's grabbing hold of this and saying, yes, that's why you're going to work tomorrow. Yes, that's why you're gonna make influence. Yes, this is what is gonna change on the inside. Quit trying to pickpocket everybody else and, 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 and find out where they need to change and start looking inwardly and saying, how can I change? God, open my eyes so I don't see but miss it, so I don't hear and miss it, but I recognize it. It's my recognition. Where did I tell you to go? Matthew 7. Keep your finger there. I already sent you there. I don't want you to waste your time. Matthew 7. Back in the day, you know, if I told someone to turn, if I said, all right, let's turn to whatever, people literally turned there, and I could go until I heard the pages stop, and now you don't hear that anymore because they're picking it out on their phone or not looking at it anyways. It's on the screen. (laughs) Keep your finger there in Matthew 7. But in Matthew chapter 13, going back to the beginning, Jesus explains why the parable of the sower was so important. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 14, in the New Living, it reads this way. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are what? Hardened. That's offense. That's literally what offense is, a hard heart. For the hearts of these people are hardened. 
and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me, and watch this, and let me heal them. The problem is not on his side. It's on ours. Guys, I don't want to be someone that doesn't let God work in my life. And you might be thinking about somebody else that you know isn't letting God work in their life. But in what areas have you restricted God? See, the people of Nazareth and the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the people that rejected Jesus, they rejected him because he didn't fit in their box. Jesus came to shatter boxes. Jesus came to shatter ideas. Jesus came to, the first words he said when he began preaching was what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent doesn't mean come down to the altar and boohoo and cry and ask God to forgive you and tell him how sorry you feel and how condemned you are. No, repent literally means to change your thinking. It means to change your mind. And he came preaching that message not to get people just to turn away from their sins, but to help people understand, I'm bringing a message that's going to shatter everything you think you know about me. Forget everything you know about the Messiah. Forget everything you know about the kingdom. Forget everything you know about the Father God. Forget everything you know and let me show you the way. Let me show you what the kingdom is really like. But you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to walk away from your way of thinking and turn a complete 180 and head in the opposite direction and that's the only way you can receive you cannot receive God by putting him in your box he is the box he is the box so they didn't they weren't even able to let him do what he wanted to do but he says but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous people long to see. So it wasn't that they didn't, they didn't have a desire to see it. It's that they missed it once it actually showed up. There's going to be people at the end of their lives are going to stand before Jesus, give an account, and they're going to say, God, I wanted to do things for you. God, I wanted to, to, to perform miracles. God, I wanted to trust in you. But he's going to say, but you didn't because you rejected it every time I tried to show up in your life. And that's what Matthew chapter seven has to say. Beware of false prophets, verse 15, who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. You can pick grapes. Uh, Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its what? Fruit. It's not a carpenter anymore if it's doing signs and wonders and miracles. It's a prophet and a man of God. The fruit determines what it is. So you can identify people by their actions. 
He goes on to say this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, what? I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I never knew you. You wanted to know something, but you didn't want to know someone. You wanted to go through the motions. You wanted to, 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 to play like you had it all together. You were accepting it for what was on the outside, but you never changed your heart on the inside. Worship team, if you'd come. So what is it that we've missed? What is it? that we've become familiar with? What is it that we have lost recognition for? Recognition for what God wants to do. Recognition for who God wants to use. Recognition for how God wants to do it. These are all the parameters. You know, we're really good at building boxes. We're really good at that. I talked a little bit on Wednesday night talking about the consumeristic approach to life. Guys, when we have a consumeristic mindset, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? Guess what? You build a box. I mean, look, if we could choose the path for our life that would lead to the ultimate outcome that we want, that we know God has for us, it probably would look a lot different If you're humble enough to admit that it would look a lot different. The path, the process, we miss, we miss, we miss what God is doing because of the package, because of the field. We miss the treasure, we miss the power, we miss the miracles, we miss the signs. I'm telling you right now, God is wanting to use stuff that's right around you. God's wanting to use the moments. God's wanting to use the opportunities. God's wanting to use the, the situations. God's wanting to use everything that you are currently involved. You have been placed there on purpose, on divine purpose. But guys, if we don't recognize it, we'll reject it. If we don't recognize it, we'll resist it. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.